it is good to be with you on this Easter Sunday. I'm so excited to be able to share these moments with you. You know, you might, um, you might have found it a little bit strange, maybe a little bit unnerving to walk into the room this morning and it'd be dark and, and we started the service in darkness and, and maybe that was a little, a little odd on an Easter Sunday to walk into a room of darkness, but we actually did that for a reason. We actually did it for several reasons. Because I think sometimes it's easy to experience the joy of Easter and all of that it offers us without really dealing with a lot of the darkness that had to come before it. I think sometimes it's easy to skip from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday and miss some of the tension, some of the difficulty in between, to realize that Jesus had to die and had to go through a lot, a brutal execution in order to get to the resurrection. Like yesterday, it was, it was really, really nice outside, and we spent most of the day outside, and it was, it was springtime, and it was beautiful, and it felt like Easter yesterday, right? But it wasn't quite Easter yet. We weren't quite there yet. The last time that we as a church gathered together was on Good Friday, two days ago. We gathered in the sanctuary, and we went through what's called a tenebrae service. Tenebrae is a service of shadows. And what tenebrae service does is it actually reverses Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we light all the candles and we hold them up and we're rejoicing that, that Jesus has come into the world, that the incarnation of God is present. And on Good Friday, we slowly snuff out those lights. We end with the Christ candle and we put a vase over the top of the Christ candle and the Christ candle slowly suffocates and we end in darkness. And so we wanted to pick up where we left off. Because on Easter, Jesus didn't just show up and everybody shouted hallelujah. It, it, it took a little bit of time. I mean, if, if Jesus had done that, that would be kind of like ending a movie uh, right as it's getting started and skipping all of the tension that builds in between. It, it would be like Darth Vader telling Luke, I am your father, and then immediately becoming a good guy and, and defeating the emperor, right? But then we would have no return of the Jedi. We've got to have return of the Jedi. That's the best one anyways. So we pick up Jesus' story where it left off, in the darkness and at the tomb. So in John 20, verse 1, it says that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. We pick up where we left off in darkness at the tomb. Mary comes to the tomb early in the morning, it says, in, in darkness. I don't know if this was 
She didn't want to be seen or, or what, but it was early in the morning. And even in springtime, early in the morning, it's still pretty cool outside. And I imagine that as she's walking along, it's, the dew is still heavy on the ground. Just as the tears are probably still heavy on her face. She saw and witnessed Jesus' brutal execution and, and now is coming to care for his body. And the weight of the world must have been on her shoulders. Spending the last three years with him and knowing all that he stood for. That he experienced this deep violence, this deep violation. And didn't resist it with a violent movement of his own. But with nonviolence, with peace. And it ultimately cost him his life. So as she's walking along the path to the tomb, I, I imagine that she turns the corner and, and sees that something's wrong. Something's gone awry. She turns the corner and sees that the stone has been moved. And she immediately makes an assumption. She, she assumes that the authorities have taken Jesus' body they want to add insult to injury, and they don't let their, the movement of Jesus be able to pay their final respects, be able to say goodbye. You know, losing a loved one is hard enough, but it's another thing to not be able to say goodbye. And so as she approaches the tomb and sees that something's wrong and assumes that they have taken his body for her, the darkness just gets thicker. In verse 2, it says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but... The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. And Peter and the other disciple take off running as soon as they hear this news. And Peter comes in second, uh, but enters the tomb first. The other disciple gets there first, but Peter comes in from behind and brushes past him and, and uh, goes right into the tomb. So, you know, what he lacks in speed, maybe he, he makes up for in zeal. You know, that's, that's kind of the way I, I used to play basketball, you know. I didn't exactly have the speediest feet, but, you know, I was 
gung-ho about it. That reminds me of Loyola yesterday. They, they didn't quite have all the talent that Michigan did, but they, they had zeal. And they, on that zeal, they made it all the way to the Final Four. Anyway, that was an aside. <laughs> so Peter, with gusto and fearlessness, comes from behind and marches into the tomb and sees the linen wrappings and sees them kind of in a weird arrangement. And it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around what was going on in this story. You know, why are we talking about these two disciples outrunning each other, and one gets there first but doesn't go in, and then Peter gets there and he does go in? What is this all about? Well, what I realized was that there's kind of a gradual progression in the story of the light maybe dawning on them. See, Mary gets to the tomb, and she sees the stone, but she doesn't really go much further than that. She, she sees that the stone's been moved, but she doesn't take a peek in. She doesn't really inspect the tomb. She immediately assumes the worst and runs back. And then the other disciple gets there, and he gets to the tomb and you know, sees the stone rolled away, but goes all the way up to it and, and looks in and sees the linen wrappings. And then Peter gets there and sees the stone's been rolled away and and looks in and sees the linen wrappings and then goes into the tomb and sees that the linen wrappings are actually rolled off into two different piles, the, the head cloth over here to the right and the others off to the left. So I think what the storyteller is trying to convey here is that there is a gradual dawning. Jesus didn't just show up and everybody shouted hallelujah. The darkness took some time to dissipate. It took some time for the darkness to be broken by the light. Because darkness in our lives doesn't always just go away like that. The things that we face in our lives often take time and grace to dissipate. And at the end of this, we see that one disciple has sort of believed something. We don't really know what. It says that the other disciple saw and believed, but then it goes on to say, for as yet they did not understand that Jesus was to rise from the dead. So what exactly did he believe? Did he just believe Mary's report that, that Jesus' body was missing? And, and if that's the case, then that makes sense. He shows up and sees, yep, there's no body, and Mary was right. Maybe that's what he believed. Or, or, or maybe there was another level of believing. But the text doesn't really say. So we're not really sure. We're still kind of in this state of confusion. That's exactly where Mary finds herself when we pick her story back up. Presumably she has gone with the other two disciples and has found herself again at the tomb. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she bent over to look into the tomb. She, she finally gets up enough courage to peer in and not just see that the stones rolled away, but to see for herself. And instead of seeing linen wrappings, she sees something totally different. It says she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been, 
blind, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She reiterates her initial assumption that the authorities have taken away her Lord. So even though she has seen these angels, she's still in the midst of confusion. She's in the midst of pain and suffering. She's still operating under an old paradigm of thinking. She's still operating under the idea that darkness and death and sin and evil have the last word. She's sitting at the tomb weeping. It mentions the fact that she's weeping three different times. I think reiterating just how deep her pain was. And what I want you to recognize in this text is that these are two angels messengers from God who have showed up and they ask her why she's weeping. Not only because they know the end of the story, but as a way of compassionately seeing her where she is. Woman, why are you weeping? And what I want you to see is that God is actually in the midst of the pain with her. God doesn't immediately erase it, but God stands with her. The linen wrappings transform into messengers of God. And God is there with her in the midst of the darkness and the pain and the suffering. The first song we sang today was, I shall not walk alone. In the midst of the pain and the suffering and the darkness, Whatever it is that you're facing, you shall not walk alone. Jesus died on the cross, and, and one way to think about that is that the, the cross shows us the lengths that God is willing to go to show us God's love. And that on the cross, Jesus is identifying with the broken, with the suffering, with the marginalized, with the outcast. Jesus walks with us in our pain. We shall not walk alone. And then we as the readers get to get in on a little secret. In verse 15 it says, or verse 14, I apologize. When she had said this to the angel, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Here was the risen Christ. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Something about her experience in that moment, something about the depth of her pain and suffering, perhaps the fact that she was weeping and weeping and weeping, she was not able to recognize Jesus through her veil of tears. Something kept her from recognizing him right away. And Jesus said to her the same question that the angels had asked her, woman, why are you weeping? And then he adds another question, whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. 
he asks her two crucial questions here. Why are you weeping and whom are you looking for? The second question, both of these are somewhat existential questions. The who are you looking for question is actually the same question that Jesus asked at the opening of the gospel, at the beginning of the gospel of John, before he had any followers. In, in, chapter, in, in chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus asks his first two disciples, who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Because we're all looking for something. And in that day and time, they were looking for a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government and restore peace to Israel. What we're looking for ultimately, though, is for people who help us make sense of the world. We are looking for ways that make our human existence have meaning. We're looking for people to follow, who show us a way of life that is a way of love that brings all people into God's fold. And Jesus, the good shepherd, does just that. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for in life? Now here's where the news gets really good. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, calls her by her name. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. I, I imagine she ran to him and, and embraced him. Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. And Mary finally realized it. Mary finally realizes it when Jesus calls her by her name. In John, it says that the good shepherd, the shepherd knows his sheep by name and calls them by name and they follow him. Who are you looking for? You are looking for the good shepherd who shows you the way of love. And Jesus calls you by name, calls you to follow in this way. What is our response? Because what we see in this passage is that the darkness, the pain, the suffering, the evil ultimately does not hold sway over this life. Jesus' way of love breaks the back of darkness and a light dawns on the world. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. The darkness cannot win. Ultimately, love wins. Ultimately, this is how we make sense of the world. Because 
ultimately, love has the final say. Love has the final word. Love holds more power than evil. The way of love is what can drive back darkness. Perfect love drives out fear. The light shines in the world, and the darkness shall not overcome it. So Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And what we can celebrate today is that Christ is risen again and again each and every day in you and me when we live the way of love, when we live Christ's life, when we accept the grace and the beauty that God offers us and let it transform us and let it make us new so that Christ is represented to the world in you and in me. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. And so, what we celebrate today as we gather around the communion table 